Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. My purpose for today is to draw us, to help us to, to see and savor the gospel. One of the ways growing up at our house that my parents sought to help us do this is when my siblings and I got in trouble, which was often, I think I still hold the Nessie house record for getting grounded. Um, so it happened, it happened a lot. But every now and then, um, we'd get in trouble and my mom would ground us or some type of punishment. And my dad would, would stop and said, wait, 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 I'm gonna take Brooks's punishment. And I would watch my dad get grounded or punished in whatever form that was. Now, honestly, a lot of the time as a little kid, I was just kind of like, yes, got, got away with one. But obviously, my parents' intention was to seek to help us kids see and savor the gospel. As young kids, and then as we got older, we saw them do the same thing with our younger siblings. And that's, again, my goal today as we look at Psalm 51. Now, I know that's not the passage that was read, but that was read to give us some context for this psalm, for this prayer. Now, many of you know the context leading up um, to this story. David, when he should have been off fighting with his troops, stays back in Jerusalem. And one day, while he's on his roof, he sees Bathsheba bathing, and he has her brought to the palace, and he sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. Then, in an attempt to cover up his sin, David brings her husband back, Uriah, brings him back from the fighting in the hope that he will sleep with his wife. But he refuses to do so, as he will not enjoy a night with his wife while his comrades are still on the battlefield. So David brings him back again the next night, and this time gets him drunk. But still, he refuses. So David resorts to murder. When his military commander puts Uriah at the center of a suicidal attack, which leads to his death. And then David takes Uriah's widow to be his wife. And David thinks he's in the clear. But after all this, the Lord sends his prophet Nathan to confront David about his sin. And he creatively uses the story that Debbie just read for us to convict David. And then it's here that we find Psalm 51. And so I want you to turn there, if you haven't already, and I want you to look at how David begins his petition to God. Look at verses 1 through 2 of Psalm 51. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin." Now, that phrasing that David uses there, it should sound familiar. That referral to God's abundant mercy and his steadfast love, it it harkens back to God's description of himself in Exodus chapter 34, when God met with Moses on Mount Sinai. Do you remember the story? Moses asked God to show him his glory. And so Moses is placed in the cleft of the rock. And then, you don't need to turn there, but listen. Listen to what happens in Exodus 34. 
It says that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is God's own description of himself. And it's a description that we see the people of Israel referencing back to time and again throughout the Old Testament. Because for them, as it was for David, the only hope they had was based upon the character of their God. And no merit of their own. Because if it's based on their own merit, David would be found wanting. And so would we. But his God is merciful and abounding in steadfast love. And he desires that God show that love through the cleansing of his sin. I want you to to think of David as looking at the father the same way that the, the prodigal son in that famous proverb looked at his father. Remember when he was eating from the pods of the pigs and then he thinks to himself, what am I doing? Surely my father would at least let me be a servant in his house. And then he returns home. But do you remember when the father sees him from a distance? He, He runs out to him. He throws his robe on him and puts his ring on his finger and he embraces him in mercy and steadfast love. And so David asked that his loving God demonstrate that that same mercy, not not by pretending that the sin didn't happen, not by ignoring it, but wiping it clean, blotting it out, washing him, cleansing him from his sin. When you hear those words, blotting out, think of a a criminal record being erased. Someone has a, a warrant for your arrest and they tear it up. That idea of washing has the sense of taking dirty clothes off of somebody and putting on instead pure robes. That word cleanse has the sense of being purified, which is something that would happen when someone became ritually unclean and they could not enter the presence of God. And so too David is asking that he be purified so he can come before him. Because as one commentator said, David knows that without the merciful act of God on his behalf, he will be unfit to enter the presence of God and unfit to lead his people as king. David must see God in light of who he has described himself to be. And he had shown himself through through the Torah and stories like Exodus 34, which David would have been familiar with. He had shown that steadfast life in, in David's life prior It helped him overcome lions and bears when he was a a shepherd. As a young boy, he helped him defeat a giant. As a young man, he helped protect him from an angry king that unjustly sought his life. As a general, he had helped him defeat massive armies and eventually become king of God's anointed people. And here he is again in desperate need of God's deliverance. But this time it's from his own sin. David had tried to cover up and make up for his mistakes, and it didn't work. And it cost him more than he could bear. And so he turns back to truth. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
And you too serve that God. Maybe you too right now, maybe you have sin that's hanging around your neck. Maybe you're trying to keep it under wraps, or maybe you're trying to make up for it in your own effort. And let me tell you, it will not work. He's not waiting for you to fix yourself. He's waiting for you to come to him. So like that father and his prodigal, he can wrap his arms around you and say, my son, my daughter has returned. Read on in verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You see, when we see God in light of who he has described himself to be, we can then see our sin in light of who God is. David knows he falls short, for all fall short of the glory of God. And he describes his sin as as hanging over him, not pretending like it's not there, not pretending like it doesn't impact his walk with God. And you see, we we are justified by faith, but ongoing sin can greatly inhibit our service unto the Lord, and it needs to be acknowledged. And in 1 John 1, 1.9, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you notice that it says that he is just to forgive? See, God, God would be just for letting David suffer the consequences of his sin. But he's also just in forgiving David's sin since this man is casting himself fully upon the mercy of the Lord. Now, obviously, this is prior to the, the first coming of Christ, but we still serve the same God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And nowhere has that love been more clearly shown than in the Son and his cross. And now, if we are to place our faith in him and seek forgiveness in the name of Jesus, God is just in forgiving us because Christ achieved that justice by taking the wrath upon himself. And if we are to sincerely seek forgiveness in the name of Jesus, and God said, no, you know what, that's not enough, then he would be unjust because it would mean the cross was not enough. But it was enough, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Now, David was not just a sinner because he sinned. He sinned because he was a sinner. Verses 5 through 6, we see that David is acting out of his nature, just as we do. And this this doesn't excuse us for our sin. We still willfully rebel against God. But praise God, we are not left in this state. But it's not a state that we can pull ourselves out of. It doesn't take a long inward look to help us see that this is true of each of us. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, that he who knew no sin became sin in order that you and I might become the righteousness of God. It takes the work of God for us to see God for who he truly is and to see our sin for what it is. In this, we are drawn to hope as God reveals truth and wisdom in the secret heart. 
continue now in verse 7, where David writes, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now this next point kind of coincides with what I just talked about in regards to, to seeing our sin in light of who God is. And that is that see ourself in light of who God is. Now part of seeing ourself is seeing that sin, but because of the work of Christ, we don't have to stay in sin. That is no longer our identity. Now in verses 7 through 9, we see David asking God to take things away, but in verse 10 through 12, we see him asking God to put other things in its place. You see, if, if we're living in sin, it's a sign that we're not savoring our salvation. It means that instead of living in light of the gospel, we are living in spite of the gospel. In verse 7, we see several ways of him describing this, this cleansing from sin. He talks about being purged with hyssop. What in the world does that mean? Now, hyssop was a type of plant, and it was, also, it was used during the Passover to, to spread the blood above the door frames. It was often used in, in cleansing ceremonies for those who were unclean. He's asking to be cleansed. He asked God to, to wash him. Think again of that dirty garment being treated with Tide Ultra Clean or whatever, and it comes out spotless. Because you see, with God, it's all or nothing. When you're saved, it's not like he kind of washed you. You are cleansed. Sure, we're not perfected, but when God sees those who are in Christ, he sees the purity of his son. David also asked that the bones that he has broken be restored. Because let me, let me say something. I'm not saying that today, because of the work of Christ, that your sins will not have any earthly impact. Look at David's own life. The son that was born with Bathsheba will perish. From this point forward, we see extreme dysfunction and violence in his family. And we're going to see that bloody pattern continue throughout the rest of the kings of the land. And so I'm not saying that our sins will see no consequences or that they have no impact on our present walk with God. But for those who are in Christ, their standing before God cannot be changed. And it's our understanding of that identity in Christ that will fuel our ongoing walk with Christ. And that's why I'm so encouraged when I see believers continuing to repent, seeing that evidence of the Spirit's work of conviction in the believer's life, and we're seeing that conviction in David's life. In verses 10 through 12, we, we, th we see three mentions of the word spirit. Look at verse 10. It says, renew a right spirit within me. 11, take not your Holy Spirit from me. In verse 12, uphold a willing spirit within me. You see, self-knowledge, it has the potential to lead to despair. But it's meant... Uh, meant to lead us to dependence. Because David knows himself well enough that without God's assistance, his spirit will fail. 
When you see David, when he refers to his heart there in verse 10, I want you to think of that as the the center of his mind, his will, and his emotions. Because if not for God's help, his mind will, will drift astray, his decisions will be tainted, and his emotions will deceive. And so he seeks this guide in, in verse 11, which is a reference to the Holy Spirit. But then he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And then I read that and you're like, does God do that? Well, no, in the Old Testament, before the story of Pentecost in the book of Acts, that the sending of the Spirit upon humans is seen, but not, not in a permanent manner. We see the Spirit coming upon certain individuals for certain tasks. We we saw it, the the builders of the tabernacle. We saw it in some of the judges in the book of Judges. We saw it in King Saul. But then we're told that the Spirit left King Saul. And I believe that's probably maybe what David has in mind when he makes this request. But you see, both Saul and David, both were wicked kings. But the difference between Saul and David is that one was repentant and one was not. Saul became hardened in sin. David became broken in sin. And so how about you? Have you let sin harden you? Or do you find yourself sensitive and aware of sin in your life? Is sin stealing the joy of your salvation? Or are you daily enjoying the joy of your salvation in the gospel as you see your need for it day by day? Emmaus, I want to encourage you today, if you are living in sin, I hope you have a David Psalm 51 moment. I hope the Lord sends a Nathan into your life to expose or that you submit to the conviction of the Spirit. I know it would be hard. I know it's humbling. But better is a little mourning with forgiveness than a, than a house of feasting and ignorance with unrepentant sin. Paul David Tripp says that mourning not like the beginning of a day, but mourning means you recognize the most important reality in human existence, sin. Mourning means that you've come to realize as you get up in the morning that once again you will be greeted with a catalog of temptations. Mourning results when you confess that there are places where your heart still wanders. He goes on to say that mourning is wonderful when it leads you to cry out for the help rescue, forgiveness, and deliverance of a Redeemer. And so again, how about you? Is mourning sin a part of our lives? And I I don't mean that we always need to be doom and gloom, but do we understand our need for the gospel day by day? For you see, we will not have joy in our salvation if we feel we have no need of salvation. And we will not see our need for salvation until we see God in light of who he has described himself to be and until we see our sin and ourselves in light of who God is. And then finally, when we do this, we also come to see other sinners in light of who God has said he is. Because look with me now in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now David is 
not making some deal with God here. It's not some sort of, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You save me, then I'll, then I'll start telling people about you. No, David is going to be so overcome by the grace he receives, he can't help but tell other sinners about it. And I bet you didn't know that you were mentioned in Psalm 51. Verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. We are those transgressors that David is teaching. David is in the depths of seeing his sin, and he knows how helpless that feels, but he knows the helper, and he wants others to find that same help. You've maybe heard it said that evangelism, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And you know what? Every time we tell another beggar about the good news of God's grace, whether they receive it or not, it means we're hearing it again, too. You know, in his book, Saturate, Jeff Vanderstelt talks about how we as Christian, Christians have been saved, we, we've been justified, we're, we're being saved, we're, we're being sanctified, and we will be saved. We'll be glorified when we are with him, resurrected. And these are truths that we must saturate ourselves in. Not, not just in chapel or church, but in every aspect of our lives. Because that's what I think we're seeing David do. He is saturating himself in the grace of God and seeking ever more to understand it. In this psalm, it, it shows a, a wrestling on behalf of David. You know, in parts, you know, it seems like he's a confidently forgiven king, but then again in verse 14, he, he brings up his guilt again. And have you guys ever had those moments, maybe when you're in prayer with God and you're coming before him in confession and repentance, but you feel like Satan is right there next to you, condemning you, Maybe he was with David saying, you know, are you kidding, David? Do you actually think he's going to restore you after what you just did? Uriah is in a cold grave. Bathsheba's child is dead. You have made Bathsheba a widow and childless. Do you think God is going to want to listen to a person like that? But God is worthy. And so David doesn't look at his own unworthiness, but he continues to point himself to the worthiness of his God. And he isn't singing aloud of his righteousness in verse 14. He's singing aloud of God's righteousness. And that's what opens his lips continually in verse 15. Because have you ever been so full of shame that you couldn't even open your lips? Perhaps being in a worship service and you, you couldn't get yourself to, to sing those words. Perhaps today in chapel, you have the weight of sin bearing down upon you. Maybe there is a stronghold of anger in your life towards someone right now, and it's controlling you. Perhaps there is a, a struggle with pornography that you continue lapsing into. Perhaps there's a struggle with jealousy, and you just wonder, why can't my life be more like my classmate over there? Or maybe, on the flip side, maybe you're thinking, well, at least I didn't kill anybody like David. I'm not sleeping around. Well, can I remind us of the words of Christ from the Sermon on the Mount when he said, You have heard it said, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
It also says in Scripture that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. And now you might be saying, come on, Brooks, we're just about to go on spring break, and you're just up there reminding us of how sinful we all are. Ah, but you see, that's what makes the gospel so amazing. You see, it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. And here's the, all, here's the thing for all of us. We're all sick. Jesus is the doctor we all need. And he's also the friend we need. One of my favorite titles in the Gospels is when they, the religious elite would call Jesus the friend of sinners. And they meant it as an insult. But for those of us who realize that we are those sick sinners, that's the greatest news ever. And so during this spring break, I want, you, I want you to do something. And I want you maybe to write this down or put it down in your phone. It's something I want to encourage you guys to be praying over this next week and beyond. And the first thing that I want you guys to do is I want you to ask God for him to show you more of his glory. That was Moses' request on Exodus 34. And it's a prayer that I don't think we pray enough. God, show me more of your glory. Secondly, ask God through his spirit to convict you of any sin that might be lingering in your life. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for the forgiveness of anyone that maybe you have wronged. And I know that's a hard prayer, but again, better the pain of confessing sin than the poisoning of lingering sin. Third, ask God to help to help you see yourself in light of the gospel, in light of your new identity in him. Because that should shape every aspect of your life. And finally, ask God to help you see others as he sees them. And to give you the opportunity to share about how his life has transformed you. And that it can transform their lives as well. Can we commit to praying that over spring break? Let's begin spring break by doing that right now. And after, after I pray, Josiah is going to lead us in, in one more song before you're dismissed as kind of a commissioning for us as we head into our spring break. But as he comes up, would you please bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, it's our prayer that you would show us more of yourself, that we would come to know you as you have described yourself to be, it's our prayer that you would also help us to see sin in our lives. Sin to confess and to repent of and to receive forgiveness from. Lord, I ask that you would help us to see ourselves in light of the gospel. Now, we are sons and daughters of the King. And Lord, that you would help us to see others as you see them. As your image bears, each one with an eternal destiny, and that we would be prepared in season and out of season to give the reason for the hope that we have, helping them to see that they too can share in that hope. So Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.